Paul's letter to the Christians that lived in Rome. Among these were both Jewish and Gentile believers. So some of the folks he was writing to were Jews who had put their faith and trust in Jesus and had become Christians. Others were, had a Gentile background. Uh, we have uh, looked at Romans chapters 1 through 8. Paul teaches a lot of theology there. Uh, talks about how we are justified by faith. We looked at Romans chapters 9 through 11 over the last number of weeks where Paul talks about where Israel's at in his present and the future of Israel. And now we come today to chapter 12. Actually, Kenny launched us into chapter 12 last week. Didn't he do a great job? He really did. And we appreciate that so much. So yeah, I got a text message last Saturday morning. I was struggling with a cold and uh, I was actually fishing as well. And uh, he said, hey, look, I got this. Don't worry about it. Um, our speaker's not going to be able to make it. So on short notice, and he did such a great job. We're so thankful to him. And you can see uh, in the eyes of our students and the way they carry themselves around campus, the influence that he's having on their lives. And so we are so grateful and, uh, for him and for his ministry among us. Um, so he launched us into Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul talks about living, presenting ourselves as living sacrifices to lay ourselves down. Uh, for God's service. God has done all these things for us. He's justified us. He's brought us into a right relationship with him. He's shown us his great mercy. And because of all of that, I mean, for all of these reasons, Paul says, look, we ought to give God all the sum of our lives. And then when he gets to verses 3 in chapter 12 through verse 8, Paul talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about what it means to be a contributor uh, to a church family and how the Holy Spirit gives each of us gifts. Now, some year, couple of years ago, we did a spiritual gifts uh, series. And so if you want to go back and listen to that, jump online and you can go back and find that series. So I'm going to skip over some of chapter 12 material. We're going to start at verse 9. And at verse 9, Paul begins kind of a bullet point of some thoughts that relate to the church families. Remember, the context of chapter 12 is how we relate to one another as a church family. And so Paul just uh, just unloads, just kind of shotgun effect, a bunch of marks of a healthy church, of marks of how healthy churches function and relate to one another. And these are just come in bullet point fashion, begins at verse 9. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet. We're going to read these uh, little bullets that Paul uh, fires away here, beginning at Romans chapter 12, I think I said that right, Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9 through 15. Here we go. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And then you may be seated. I was getting ready to read 16, but that's where we're stopping for today. We'll get to 16 next week. Um, so again, these are kind of the bullet point fashion that Paul gives us. Just some random, I don't want to say they're random, but I mean they do seem to be kind of random thoughts. And we'll see how all these tie together here. But let's go ahead and dive in at verse Nine. By the way, when I was out fishing, we caught a 25-pound, maybe it was 35, or <laughs> catfish while we were out there. The noodle went under, and it was like, where'd the thing go? And it was disappeared, and then all of a sudden it popped back up, and we chased around the boat as it kept going under, and it tasted really good last night. <laughs> um, so let's start verse 9. Let love be genuine. In other words, number one, there must be authentic love. So what I'm doing here is I'm going to present to you kind of my... Uh, one, one word statement or, or just a short phrase synopsis of all these bullet points that Paul gives you. There's nine of them that um, I, I saw here in these verses. So let's take a look at them. Verse nine, let love be genuine. In other words, there must be authentic love or genuine love. Um, 
in some of the translations, it says without hypocrisy. Um, and that's really more of the way the Greek word arrives here. It's not, the Greek word is not, it's really, a, it's trying to, it's more of a negative uh, saying, don't be this way. And so it's saying without hypocrisy. In some of our translations, it says authentic. In some translations, it says be genuine. Um, but the meaning of the Greek text, or the word there, um, anapokritos, uh, was literally a word that was used of actors on the stage. And in Greek times, in the first century, the actors would have worn a mask uh, when they were walking around on the stage. And so this word apokritos would have uh, had a notion of, oh, this is talking about somebody who walks around wearing a mask. This is somebody who's phony. This is somebody who's fake. That's always putting on. And so Paul's saying, don't let your love be like that. Let your love be genuine. Let your love be authentic. Um, now, every church that I know is good about talking about loving one another. But what the Spirit of God is calling us to do here is to put that love into action. And what we'll see over the next eight points that Paul makes in these verses is this is what genuine love looks like in action. So as we go to number two of my, my, my outline here, know that this is just another example of what genuine love looks like in action. Okay, so let's look at verse, end of verse 9. Uh, it says, abhor what is evil, but hold fast to what is good. Now, I summarize that into the word protective concern, protective concern. This is not merely a general call that Paul makes here for us to not like evil and to make sure that we love what is good. That's not what he's saying here. Rather, God is calling us to a protective concern toward one another. Moms and dads know what this is like. Moms and dads have an innate ability, an innate instinct to protect their children, um, nobody taught them how to have this. Nobody sent moms and dads off to a seminar in order to learn how to protect your children. This was something that just goes along with being a parent, which makes moms and dads the absolute declared enemy of any kind of evil that would ever try to enter into the life of their child. And they will fight that evil even to the sacrifice of their own lives. That's the kind of awareness that parents have. Now, as Christians, we understand that sin and disobedience to God hurts people. It is a destructive force. And if we really genuinely love people, love in action, then the Word of God declares that we will be taking action, protective action, to confront people when they, we see them falling into sin. Our small group, our men's small group this past week, was uh, actually landed on some verses that were discussing this, and we talked about it a little bit. This is our Wednesday night group, um, James chapter 5, and verse, I don't think I have it on the screen for you, but James chapter 5, verse 19. Paul says these words, or James says these words, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, verse 20, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death. The idea there is that if we genuinely love one another, then we will act when we see somebody falling away from the Lord, that we will act when we see them uh, slipping. And rather, you know, the other option is we say, well, I don't really want to get involved. Or, well, that's none of my business. And the Bible's declaring here that, look, we need to take, have protective concern. Genuinely, genuine love in action takes protective action uh, to help others. And this is what a parent would do for their child, right? We don't just watch our child go off and smoke dope and say, well, who cares? No, we get involved. We step in the, in, the, in the midst of that, and we stand in the gap for them, and we say, look, this behavior that you're engaged in is destructive for you. Let's, uh, let's, let's turn things around. This is what families do. This is what love in action looks like. Uh, Self-sacrifice, number three, uh, verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. 
This means caring about the needs and wants of other people so much, so much so, than the, that we delay the things that we want, that we hold off from um, meeting our own needs in order that the person that we love can get what they want and what they need. And without this attitude, families just cannot work. Uh, moms who have walked the hall at 2 o'clock in the morning understand self-sacrifice. Kids crying, and all you can think to yourself is, please, please, please just go to sleep. All I want to do is sleep, so please let me have some sleep. And, but that little baby has a need, has, needs you, and so you continue to give you self-sacrifice on their behalf. And this is, again, what love looks like in action. And, as a church, and so as a church, this looks like being willing to give up my preferences and what I want so that someone else can worship and have programs that meet their needs. It means service. And the Bible says outdoing one another, outdoing one another in acts of service. It means being willing to turn, take a turn in the nursery so that a weary mom can sit down and have a few moments of quiet reflection and catch her breath here in a service just for an hour a week uh, and begin to feel like a real person again. Friends, real families cannot function properly without this kind of love. Number four, verse 11. Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. And I call this one an upbeat spirit or an upbeat attitude. You know, it is amazing how one family member who is always down and always critical and always finding something to kind of woe is me about can drag a whole Thanksgiving dinner into the gutter, right? And they can ruin, ruin all of that. But one of the greatest ways, friends, that we can be a blessing to our family is to have a positive and an upbeat spirit. This reminds me of two characters from, I guess, my childhood. Some of y'all remember Winnie the Pooh, all right? And they had two guys on there. One of them was really upbeat. What was his name? Tigger. And the other guy was Eeyore. That's right. And so Tigger, he was bouncing around through life, right? Anytime that you encountered Tigger, he just lifted you up. He, you know, he just made you just feel better about things. Uh, and then there's Eeyore. And Eeyore would always say things like, well, I don't know. Somebody took my tail. And Eeyore just kind of had a, like a, a cloud that just kind of hung over him everywhere he went in life. And so what the Bible is saying that, is that every church needs more Tiggers. Now, she's not here today, but I'm going to pick on Susan Biscogli. As some of y'all know Susan, she, her husband Terry teaches one of our Sunday schools here at the church. And Susan's just always got an upbeat and a positive attitude toward things. Uh, Claire and I went over to their house a couple of weeks ago and had lunch, and we just left there feeling refreshed and revitalized, and she was just so encouraging and just good people to be around. And every church needs people like that, Tiggers, that are just bouncing through here and saying, hey, good to see you today, and just lifting up the rest of us. Number five, commitment to prayer. Part of what makes church a family is a commitment to pray for one another. Verse 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. You know, one of the things that I can count on from, from my wife is prayer. And when I'm feeling down and when I'm kind of, you know, having a bad day or I'm struggling, I know that Claire will make whatever it is that's on my heart a matter of prayer. And the Word of God is saying here that the church family needs to be built on that very same practice. Part of being part of the family of God is praying for each other and supporting each other in prayer. Number six is benevolent. A loving church is benevolent. Verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints uh, and seek to show hospitality. That first part, contribute to the needs of the saints. What that verse is saying is that family members need to help each other. 
When there is financial need in a way that no one else will help, who's going to help you? Family. And you've experienced this before. Many of us uh, bought our first house because somebody in our family was willing to help us with the down payment. Some of us were able to buy our first car because somebody in our family was willing to give us some money to help us make that down payment, to buy that first car. Maybe they bought it outright for you. They shared some sort of extreme gift with you. Maybe you had a financial emergency in your family and you had no way to meet that need and things were about ready to just completely fall apart and somebody in your family stepped in, stepped in the gap and helped you out in a way that you needed. And friends, we've all experienced this. Family knows how to give family money. That's part of being family. The Bible talks about this in Acts chapter 2 and verse 44. This is the way the family of God works. Uh, Writing about the early church, it says, and all who believed were together and had things in common, verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the need, the proceeds to all as any had need. You know, I've been pastoring this church for many years now, and I have seen down through the years so, I mean, more than I can, I was trying to think about this afternoon, like how, or this, this, yesterday afternoon, how many things have I seen people do? And it's just more than I can possibly count. People that help kids go off to summer camp. People in this church that help put tires on somebody's car that had a need. People that help somebody pay their medical bills that were unexpected or funeral costs that were unexpected. There's so many times throughout the life of this church family where people, you, have helped one another and you've seen people with a need and you've met that need. Why? Because this is what family does. This is love in action. And I've seen people do this willingly. I've seen them do this without hesitation. I've seen them do this freely. Again, this is what love looks like in action. Number seven is hospitality. It says in the second half of verse 13, to seek to show hospitality. You know, one of the most regular things that families do is they eat together. And when we eat together, it's when real conversation begins to take place. That's where real intimacy and the give and take takes place. Imagine how different your family would be if you had never sat down to share a meal together. Think about that. When you're eating together, there is a sense of hospitality that is forged, and it opens things up, and it sets a warm and inviting atmosphere between you. At our home group this past year that Claire and I were a part of, um, our hostess would every week have uh, decaf Jittery Joe's coffee there. And I would look forward to that Jittery Joe's coffee uh, on Sunday evenings. And she'd always have some sort of fresh baked goods, and we'd be able to share in that. And that just kind of created a sense of warmth, created a sense of atmosphere, and it began opening us up to share. Um, Imagine what a blessing it would be. Imagine what a blessing it would be if each one of us invited someone in the church out for lunch. Hey, you get to go have lunch together, right? Get to go eat. How that feeling of family would permeate throughout this church. You know, people who have joined this church have told me through the years that it's when someone invited them to lunch, when they were new to the church, that it was that invitation that made them feel like this was their church home. What kind of difference does hospitality make, friends? It creates a sense of family in this church. It is genuine love, authentic love. It is love in action. Number eight, forgiveness. Romans 12 and verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You know, if you've been part of a family, you know that family members can fight. You know that family members can get impatient. You know that family members can get into disagreements and that things can, you know, go awry. 
What makes family family, though, is that this is a place where people forgive people who have hurt them. This is a place where people reconcile differences that they have and that those people go on in life together. Rather than just say, well, I'm done here, I'm gone, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk to her anymore, I'm not going to talk to him anymore. Family reconciles, they pull it back together, and that's what makes family different than the rest of the world. In a truly healthy church, people don't return hurt for hurt, they don't return evil for evil, instead they return blessing and forgiveness, and nothing, friends, will bring you closer to another person than experiencing forgiveness and reconciliation. That is a bond, friends, that will never break. Again, that's love in action, and that's what healthy churches do. Number nine, our last one, compassion. Verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Friends, families feel with one another. That's what Paul's saying here. There's compassion in families. Families feel each other's success, and families feel each other's disappointments. Families know how to shout together when something good happens, and they know how to cry together when something bad happens. I mean, think about it. When you're out at a ball game and you're watching the kids and they're playing and some little guy strikes out or somebody misses a pass or whiffs at a ball as it's going through into the goal, who is it that's most upset? Is it all the other moms and dads and the fans in the stands? No. The ones that are feeling that deepest tug in their heart and that are feeling the tears welling up in their eyes, well, obviously maybe the player on the field, but it's the mom and dad sitting in the stands because that's what families do. Families feel what one another feels. When something good happens, church families know how to rejoice, and when tragedy happens, healthy church families know how to grieve together. Families know how to feel for one another. All right, well, let me uh, sum up what makes church a family. Number one, we said authentic love. No masks, nothing phony. And that love in action looks like, number two, protective concern. It looks like, number three, self-sacrifice. Number four, an upbeat attitude. Love in action looks like a commitment to prayer. It looks like benevolence when somebody is in a time of need. It looks like hospitality. It looks like forgiveness. And finally, it looks like compassion. All right, well, that's our treatment of these verses for today. And so that means it's time for us to ask our most important question, the question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? Let's talk about that. You know, all of these that I've just given you, compassion and self-sacrifice and and, and, uh, hospitality and praying for one another, whatever it may be, each one of them presupposes personal involvement in one another's lives. Friends, being part of a family means involvement. It means participation. Listen, I could stand up here and I could preach on this stuff for weeks on end. And I could send you home with material and I could tell you these are the things that I want you to read. And we could, I could have you just, you know, for a month, we could just saturate our minds with all this concept. But family only happens when people get involved with each other's lives. Not when we just talk about it, but when we're actually involved and engaged in one another's lives. When people are doing life together and walking through the trenches of life. And so if you would permit me, I'd like to share with you a few places where Hebron, where family happens at Hebron. 
And if you're not plugged in here and you don't feel a sense, a strong sense of family here at this church, friends, this would be a great opportunity for you to get plugged in and to get involved and to engage with other believers. One of the things that we've got is Sunday morning Sunday school. It happens at 9.30 for adults, has kids and uh, students, people, something for um, folks of all ages. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, you know what, though, 9.30 in the morning, ugh. You know, it's Sunday, it's my day to kind of get a little bit of extra sleep, and that just doesn't work for me. Not a problem. We've got other things that you can, you can jump in with us on. Um, we've got two men's small groups that meet for breakfast uh, during the week. One of them meets on Wednesday, one of them meets on Thursday. Those are every other week. Information about that's in your bulletin. Do you like food at Strickland's? It's great breakfast. You can go up there and get a tenderloin, you can get some sausage, uh, get a biscuit with some gravy, and then have some conversation and do a little Bible study while you're at it. Um, lots of opportunities there. Uh, there's also men's and women's small groups that meet on Wednesday nights. I was told that the ladies group this past week had 25 ladies that came out for the Wednesday night small group just this past week. There was at least a dozen guys uh, in the men's Bible study group. They meet for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, 6.30 to 7.45 on Wednesday nights. Uh, you can jump in there. You say, well, you know, Wednesday nights, uh, that's also difficult for me. Like when I, by the time I get home from work and then trying to get the kids, you know, fed and then get them up here or, or whatever I got to do the rest of the evening. And then the whole you know, morning breakfast thing. Well, I'm just not really that much of a morning person. Uh, well, we got another option for you too, and that's our home groups. Um, our home groups are starting up on September 19th. That's coming up in just a couple of weeks. Uh, they meet twice a month, the first and third Sundays. One of the groups meets every Sunday, uh, and they meet for about an hour or an hour and a half. And uh, this is where family happens. Pick any one of them. This is where family's happening at Hebron. And I know that there are other places that you might plug into, community Bible study in Athens. Perhaps you might plug into a small group or an accountability group that you've been a part of for a number of years or a neighborhood Bible study, and all those are good things. My point is, opportunities abound for us to find family. And so my, my challenge to you is to find a place to plug in. My concern is that without a proper connection to a church family, where you interact with other believers in a more relational setting than what Sunday morning worship allows, that without that, we just cannot care for you in the way that a family needs to care for one another. So lots of opportunities. If you haven't engaged in one of those, the bulletin this morning has got everything in there. Take it home. Do a study. It's got dates. It's got locations. It's got everything that you need. Think about joining in with one of those. Because as your pastor, the thing that weighs on my heart the most is are we caring for the members of this church? And that's my constant uh, goal and my constant desire is are we being family to one another? Um, one last thought. You know, perhaps you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You've been thinking about it. You've been thinking about taking that step. You've been thinking about asking Jesus into your life. But you're just not sure if you're ready yet. Look at what you get from inviting Jesus into your life. You get to go to heaven. Pretty good right there. Get your sins forgiven. And you get to be a part of a place like this where love is in action. Where people will come around you in your life and they will love you. They'll show you self-sacrifice. They'll show you hospitality. They'll love you authentically, genuinely. 
the way that we all need. Friends, I don't see a downside to inviting Jesus into your life. And so you put your faith and your trust in him. Invite him into your life. Ask him to cleanse you of your sin. Don't wait another minute. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here today to hear from your word, to be reminded of what healthy church looks like. And we're thankful, Lord, so much for the people that you've placed us in the midst of, people that love us authentically, people that have shown us great sacrifice, that have stood in the gap for us, that have shown us compassion, that have been benevolent toward us. When we didn't expect it, deserve it, God, we're just grateful. Lord, as we gather around this table today, we're reminded of your shed blood and of your broken body. We're reminded, God, that you made all of this possible. Lord, if there be any here today that come desiring to put their faith and trust in you for the forgiveness of sin, may they, in these quiet moments, invite you into their life. And their life, God, will never be the same. We thank you. We love you. We commit this time to you. In Christ's holy name. Amen.